Hey, this is Dr. Mike Barnett. It is an awesome privilege to fill the pulpit every Sunday at the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Having you listen to our messages on this podcast is an incredible blessing as well. And I pray that you will be encouraged in the Lord as you listen. It is vital that you commit yourself and your family to the Lord through the ministry of a local church. While it is a great blessing to have you listen to our messages, no one will be able to minister the Word of God to you or your family like a local pastor. So please do not consider this podcast as a replacement for your presence in your local church on Sunday. Be faithful, get connected, and God bless. Bibles today, we want to highlight the resurrection, and we get to do so from the book of 2 Peter, which is the topic of our preaching for these days and these weeks. In chapter 2 and verse 1, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, we are living in a time of cancel culture. Have you heard that? And uh, everything that is unliked, everything that is uh, wrong in our past, even people and events are being canceled in terms of our history or trying to be canceled. You can't cancel the past, uh, but it certainly tried. And this idea of cancel culture is now even in the church. This is how they, the left and those who would not hold to what we call or what has been called traditional values, try to affect all of culture. And they have to get into the church to cancel the soul-saving doctrines of the Bible, of our faith, the things we believe. Last week we saw in the church how the very doctrine of redemption, the doctrine of the cross and what it was intended for, the salvation of our souls to redeem us from our sins and to establish our relationship with God through Christ and to reconcile us unto Him. The doctrine of redemption is in question showed you a video of one of the leading internet pastors, uh, whatever that means, internet pastors. If you want an internet pastor, don't, don't, by the time you email him about you having a crisis in the hospital, you'll be home. But uh, over two million followers, and yet he denies that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. This morning on this Easter, our text, we address the sovereignty or the lordship of Christ and how that is being held in question today and being denied in our culture and even in our churches. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who shall bring in damnable heresies. He's talking about bringing them into the church, even denying the Lord that bought them 
and bring upon themselves swift destruction, even denying the Lord who bought them. Last week we focused on that term, who bought them, and saw, like we said, how there are false doctrines and false teachers denying the very cross of Christ and its effect for redemption. But today we want to talk about the Lordship of Jesus. We want to talk about the majesty of Jesus that our music ministry so wonderfully just sang about and led us in worship. And His resurrection is directly tied to that. If you will notice the phrase in chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, even, even the, the, that word even just emphasizes the, the drastic, terrible nature of denying redemption in Christ. But it says, even denying the Lord who bought them. Now look, that word Lord, you read it all throughout the Bible. You read it in the New Testament. The Lord, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is an interesting word here in this chapter, 2 verse 1. It's here and used nine other times in the New Testament. The first typical word is kurios, which means Lord, which speaks to our relationship with Him. Isn't it wonderful that we can have a relationship with the Lord of all creation? And He can be our Heavenly Father. But this word is... Another word translated Lord in the New Testament, and it is despotus. We get our word despot from it. Now, when we think of a despot, we think of Saddam Hussein. Or we think of Vladimir Putin, Putin, whatever his name is today. We think of one of the wicked dictators that has risen through history and fallen and many rise again and here they come again. Another one with another name but the same nature. So the word despot in our language has a negative, terrible connotation to it. But it simply means this. One who is without question the master of all. There is no way he can be anything else but master of all. Absolute ownership and control over a slave is what this word means. Now that is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is absolute master. This word is used throughout the New Testament. It's used in the Revelation when the martyrs for the faith are around the throne of God and they're saying, how long Oh, despot, will you withhold your vengeance against those who hate the gospel and have shed our blood. 2 Timothy chapter 2, it's used of, of the people of God, us, the church. And it talks about how to live unto him as a vessel of honor unto our master, meet for the despot's use. This speaks of the complete sovereignty of of God, the complete sovereignty of God. It also indicates and puts the death knell in a debate that has been around since about the 1980s. How many of you remember the 1980s? Some of you weren't here in the 1980s. Well, I started preaching in the 1980s. And the big debate was a debate they called the Lordship Salvation Debate. 
Does Jesus have to be Lord in order to be your Savior? Do you have to surrender to His Lordship? And we used to say, do you have to make Him your Lord and Savior? Well, if He is despot and Lord, you don't make Him anything. He is. And do you have to surrender to that in order to be saved? Well, I'm going to show you in a few moments where the Bible says you must. You can't divide Christ up and make Him the grandfather Savior and then, and then say, well, sometimes I might surrender to His Lordship. Oh, you, you, can't, you can't make Christ schizophrenic in terms of your salvation. And so it is surrender, it is death to self, it is the Lordship of Christ. No wonder the world flocks to false teachers because nobody wants a master except self. But these false teachers, even today, deny the despot that died for their sins. And I want to talk to you about that, just two things. First of all, I want you to notice the sovereignty that these false teachers deny. The denial of the sovereignty of God. Now, what does the word sovereignty mean? We we hear it now these days uh, with the war going on in, in Ukraine, about Ukraine being a sovereign nation, standing alone by itself. No one has the right to dictate to it. Uh, it is a sovereign nation under attack. We hear about our United States being a sovereign nation. Nations go to war to protect their sovereignty. Well... Stand alone, being independent of anybody else, that's certainly true. But let me just give it to you in basic terms. Uh, the sovereignty of God means He does what He wants to, when He wants to, to whom He wants to, how He wants to. He's God, and not only does He, He can. He can. But that is denied today by many false teachers. And it begins with a denial of the bodily resurrection of Jesus. That's where it begins, with the denial of the historical fact of the bodily resurrection of Jesus. This has been around for years, for centuries. For example, um, we know that uh, many in the world outside the church would deny the bodily resurrection. I've met people who do not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, in our town, they're not, they're not uh, Christian people. They don't have a church home. They're not interested in a church home. And I've talked to them about the gospel, and, and they have hang-ups about uh, the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Believe it or not, there was a fellow in American history by the name of Thomas Jefferson. You ever heard of him? Thomas Jefferson. After his presidency... He took it upon himself to um, rewrite his Bible. He decided that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to fabricate his own Bible. And he literally bent over every single book of the Bible, starting in Genesis, with a knife. And he cut it in different pieces. He'd say, well, that... That's, uh, 
That's kind of far-fetched. I'm not so sure TJ used those words, but uh, we're giving you the Mike Barnett version. That sounds kind of far-fetched. That can't be anything to that. And he would cut it out. And then he would say, well, that sounds like it ought to be over here. And he'd cut it out and paste it here. And he did that to the whole Bible, literally bending over every book. And he took out, cut out the miracles of Jesus, including the resurrection of the Lord. He cut it out. And he wound up with the Jefferson Bible. And it was only 84 pages long. That's it. Let me see something right here. This Bible here, minus the concordance. Yeah, well, it's over a thousand pages. I mean, it's over a thousand pages. I'm on page 1058 right now. And we still got more to go. But he had 84 pages left to the Jefferson Bible. He believed that Jesus was a man of morals. And he believed that the Constitution ought to be based upon the teachings of the Bible, but he rejected the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, even his resurrection and his sovereignty. You know what that shows us? That shows us that a man can become great without knowing the glories of Christ. It shows us that a man can write a tremendous life-changing, history-altering constitution of the United States and still have no conviction of his personal sin before God. That's the way it was. But here's something interesting. He kept his Bible to himself. He said, this is my Bible. This is my Bible. And he didn't publish it. He didn't send it to the seminaries. He didn't send it out to pastors and say, this is, I want to use my influence as a great American to uh, influence you in what you should preach from, this 84-page book. He didn't do that. He kept it private. He kept it outside the pews. If you were to go see Thomas Jefferson and were to say, can I see your Bible, more than likely he would say, well, that's just, that's just my book. That's nobody else's book. That's mine. He kept it quiet. Isn't that interesting? Peter, however, in his second epistle, is not talking about privacy in the public world out there. He's talking about false teachers and denials of the Lord that paid for our sins within the church. False doctrine, false teachers denying the very bodily resurrection of Christ even within the church. You say, preacher, there is absolutely no way that the church today would deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh, really? Well, I'm thankful I live down here in the south, in south Mississippi, where for the most part, people still believe the Bible is God's Word. They still believe in the resurrection of Jesus. May not be saved, but they believe He rose from the dead. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. But I want to tell you, it's not true that doesn't hold to other parts of our country, nor in other parts of the world. In 2017, just a few years ago, 
the BBC over in Great Britain sent out a survey to churches all across England. And they discovered that one-fourth, 25% of church members in England did not believe in the resurrection of Christ at all. 25% of Great Britain's so-called Christians deny the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They deny it completely. Very, very interesting because that is in the supposed church. And so, it's very dangerous that such a large section of those who claim to be Christians would deny the resurrection of Jesus. Is it pertinent, is it important to believe that Jesus rose from the dead in order to be a Christian? Well, let's look at the very words of God Himself. He's the one who invented salvation, and I think He can explain salvation. In the book of Romans, it's very simply put, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God has raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Folks, I don't care who you are, or where you are, or what church you're in, or what seminary someone teaches in. If they deny the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are not Christian. They are not saved. You can't deny the resurrection of Jesus. And so you might say, well, preacher, that's Great Britain. Have you noticed this is America? Well, I have. I've lived here all my life. And I will tell you that the shift in Great Britain is taking place now in the United States. This shift is here. Within the American church, there has always been a two-pronged approach to the resurrection of Jesus. Within the American church, there's always been two groups of theologians in terms of the resurrection. You might go to one church and hear a pastor preach, the resurrection is this. And then the next Sunday, you'll travel somewhere and go to another church, and you would walk in. I'm talking about even Baptist churches. And you would hear that the resurrection of Jesus is is this, and that's been that way for decades here in our own country. The first approach is what we call the literal approach to the resurrection of Jesus. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what the Bible teaches. And uh, there can be no doubt that the Bible teaches the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus. That's what the Bible teaches. And I'll show you how I know that. If you go, let me take you to the great classic chapter on the resurrection, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and Paul is describing the gospel, and he says the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And he goes on in that chapter, that long chapter, to lay down the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. And he says in verse 4, talking about the gospel, he said he died and he was and he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And he was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, and of the twelve, so they saw him, and that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. So he showed up in front of 500 believers. 
of whom the greater part remain unto this present. In other words, when Paul's writing the Corinthians, he said, many of these, most of them are still alive. He said, although some of them are asleep, they've gone on to heaven. And he says, after that, he was seen of James and all the apostles. And last of all, Paul said, he was seen of me as one, as one born out of due time. And Paul's saying, I was an apostle born out of due time. I came along later. But I saw the resurrected Lord. Thomas touched him. Thomas touched him. Jesus ate fried fish in his resurrected body. You don't eat fried fish unless you're very much physically alive. Amen? Eat too much, you'll feel the reverse. But he ate. And if you believe the Bible, this is what you believe. If you don't believe the Bible, you don't believe this. If you don't believe this, you don't believe the Bible. No logical way to believe anything else when you study the Scriptures that Jesus rose again bodily. That's the literal approach. By the way, that's what I believe. Second of all, there's the liberal approach that's been around for decades upon decades, centuries. The liberal approach. The idea of a spiritual resurrection. Been around a long time. There was a Baptist preacher named Harry Emerson Fosdick. You ever heard that name? Harry Emerson Fosdick. He was a Baptist preacher in Manhattan, up in the north. And he was preaching in a Presbyterian church. I guess the Baptists didn't want him. But off he goes to the Presbyterian church in Manhattan. And he's up there preaching. And he writes and he studies and he preaches and his understanding of the resurrection was it was not a bodily resurrection, but it was a, listen to this, a persistence in his personality. Just a spiritual resurrection, and his personality just kind of persisted in his disciples and followers. Well, I, I won't tell you what, uh, um, I disagree with that because it's wrong. And you read about some of his disciples and his apostles and you'll quickly learn and look at his followers and you'll quickly learn that a lot of us have a hard time emulating the personality of the Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? Huh? Our imperfection kind of throws that down. But this was it. You know, this is very much alive today. I was taught this in seminary. Well, they tried to teach it to me. I walked on campus with my King James Bible and left with my King James Bible. But uh, believe in it. But anyway... I know I'm a little hard-headed, but aren't you glad I wasn't persuaded? Amen. You know, some, sometimes, some things we got to be hard-headed on, right? I mean, some people are so open-minded, their brains have fallen out. 
This liberal doctrine of false teachers is wolves in sheep's clothing. This is what led one-fourth of the people in Great Britain who claimed to be Christian to reject the resurrection completely. It is a slippery slope. But now, today, there's a third approach to the resurrection that is now on the American scene. And it is alive and it is well and it is in literature and I read it and I see it and I hear it and you might too. And it is rooted in the culture of America. And it is even infiltrating into the culture of churches across the country and across the gamut. It is rooted in the culture, the politics, and the new theology of America. And it is called the liberation approach. A far more troubling denial of the resurrection than those who would deny the bodily resurrection. I can, you can sit down with one who believes that it's a, just a spiritual resurrection. And if they have any conviction about the Bible at all, you could possibly convince them that it was a bodily resurrection by reading the Bible and getting them to study the Scriptures. But this liberation approach to the resurrection is far worse. It's far more deceiving. It sounds so much better. It's already here. It will inhabit our young people. It is what will be taught in our colleges and our seminaries even. I am even hearing it among pastors of churches today. And it is very dangerous. It is this idea that the resurrection speaks to liberation because in his life, Jesus experienced poverty, he experienced oppression, he experienced inequity, and all of those things. And the resurrection just shows us how God wants to deal with poverty and expression or oppression. That's how he wants to deal with it. Now you say, well, folks, you look at me and say, Preacher, I don't understand that. I don't either. But that's the new theology of the resurrection of Christ. That the resurrection of Christ just proves that God wants to liberate the oppressed. He's not a sovereign savior. He's a community organizer. And he wants to remove oppression and racism and social injustice from the world, from America in particular. You've got to interpret the Bible in terms of being an American, they say. And we have this liberation approach to the resurrection of Christ. And you say, well, do they believe in the bodily resurrection or spiritual resurrection? And if you were to ask one of these theologians, these preachers, these social scientists, if you will. What do you believe about the resurrection? Was it bodily? Did he come out of the grave in body? Or is it simply 
the persistence of his personality. You know what they'd say? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. As long as you get the point that Jesus' resurrection, the doctrine or the teaching of the resurrection or the myth of the resurrection is to show us what God wants to do for the oppressed and you are responsible for it. That's the teaching. So the resurrection has nothing to do with salvation from sin. It is about social justice. This new denial of the bodily resurrection of Christ gained notoriety in our country last Easter. It hit the airways last Easter, a year ago, when a Baptist pastor by the name of Raphael Warnock from Georgia ran for the United States Senate and won. And on Easter Sunday last year, he published this, The meaning of Easter is more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whether you are a Christian or not, through a commitment to helping others, we are able to save ourselves. That is the new view of the resurrection of our Savior. And it's prompted by the left in our country. You see, in America today, there is an apathetic apathetic arrogance, if you will, amongst the younger generation, many of them. And it is this. It really doesn't matter what you think or believe as long, as long as it leads you to social justice. That's it. Nothing about your personal sin. And by the way, I want to tell you why social justice is such a big issue. Because if that can be the sin of America, and we can collectively be a sinful nation because we are socially unjust, then we don't have to deal with the sins of adultery and gossip and murder and hate and and stealing and all that stuff. We don't have to deal with personal sin. We can deal with national sin. Amen? Folks, that's good preaching whether you get it or not. The secular left in America will use this liberation thought to reconcile religion. You'll never do away with freedom of religion in America. It's embedded in our Constitution. Some drastic, drastic things will have to happen before religious freedom is removed in our country. So what will they do? They will cut out of the Bible what they want out. Redefine religion. Redefine what the resurrection really is. And twist it around so you can reconcile religion with your worldview and agenda. And it's happening in our country. Now you may think I'm silly, and that's, that's fine. A lot of people do. You may think I'm up here barking, you know, up, you know, up a tree that's nothing's there. I understand that. But I want to tell you this, folks. This is here. This is what your kids are going to be taught. This is what the Internet preachers are teaching your children. 
This is what they're going to get in college. And when they stand up and object based upon biblical grounds, that will be what's shot back at them. Well, sure, sure we can believe in the resurrection of Christ. But what really matters is it helps you realize just how unjust you are. And just realize how wrong you are just because you're an American. And that is where we are. And by the way, I would tell Senator Warnock, I'm not going to call him reverend or pastor or preacher because... Folks, I want to tell you something. He's forfeited that, in my opinion. But I want to tell you, I would tell the senator, <laughs> it doesn't matter what you do, you can't save yourself. So, what is really the resurrection? What does it mean that Jesus rose again from the dead? Well, if there is no resurrection, He is not sovereign God. Man is sovereign. Second of all, if He is not resurrected we are not saved we are not saved we're not saved from our sin this is why Jesus rose from the dead first of all Romans chapter 4 verse 24 but for us also to whom it shall be put to our account imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered for our offense and was raised again for our justification. Let me tell you what happened on the cross. The first part of that verse says it was imputed to us. That simply means that on the cross, God took your sin and put it in the account of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He took the righteousness of Jesus and He put it into your account on you. It would be like if I were to take everything in my bank account and without you deserving it, I would say, put it into yours. Here is your account. That's what God did on the cross. But notice, it didn't stop there because He was delivered for our sins. He took our sins. We get His righteousness when we are born again. But here it is. And was raised again for our justification. What is justification? Well, I want to tell you two things about it. First of all, you can look at it this way. It means just as if I have never sinned. That's what justification is. When you're in Christ, you are just as if you've never sinned. That's a wonderful way to be. But preacher, I have sinned. Well, before God, if you're born again and you're saved, you are just as if you've never sinned. That's how He looks at you. And also, justification is not something that God does. It's something that God says. Do you hear me? It is a declaration of the Lord Jesus Christ. So picture this. He took your sins, gave you His righteousness, went to the grave, rose again from the grave in body. A body has hands, a body has ears, a body has a nose, and a body has a mouth and a tongue and vocal cords. And he stands before God declaring you just as if you've never sinned. Now only God can do that, but only a living God can do that. Amen. A dead Christ can't do that. 
Dead people don't speak. I've been around a bunch of them. But I want to tell you what, a living Savior can look before, look at God and look at you and he can say, you are just as if you've never sinned. God, she is just as if she's never sinned. The resurrection, dear friend, without the resurrection, our sin is not dealt with. There's no way for it to be dealt with. You will die in your sins. You will take its guilt with you to the grave and to hell. It is not dealt with without the bodily resurrection of Jesus. It does matter, does it not? Second of all, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. You are yet in your sins. Then also they which are fallen asleep, which Christians who have died. That's the term for the Christian who dies. God's going to wake them up, well, going to wake up their body one day. And so he calls them asleep, describes them as being asleep. He says, also which are fallen asleep in Christ, they're perished. They're in hell. They're dead, never to live again. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. There is a bodily resurrection for those who are in Christ. If Christ is not risen, our sins are not dealt with. And I will tell you something else. Our sorrows are not overcome. Isaiah 53, that great passage on the cross says, Surely He has borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows without a doubt. I want to tell you on the cross, Jesus took your sins. But he also took your sorrows. And he took those sins and those sorrows and he put them in the grave. And when he rose from the dead, he left them in the grave. And you do not have to be overcome and bear the burden of your sorrows forever because Jesus carried them away. He carried them away. That means our sorrows are overcome in Jesus. You know, during COVID, I, uh, if I counted correctly, I buried eight souls who perished with COVID. And um, two of them were at the same time, a husband and wife. And then there were two others where one passed and then sometime later another passed. And I want to tell you that uh, some of them were not related to our church. Funeral home needed a preacher. And they called me. If somebody asked for a Baptist at Bradford O'Keefe, they call, usually call me here in town, and I go. But always I preach the gospel, and always we talk about the hope we have in Christ, the resurrection of Jesus. I get asked all the time, they say, well, preacher, what if you know that individual who died wasn't a Christian? What do you say then? I'm not preaching to them, I'm preaching to the living. Amen? 
I'm preaching the gospel of the living, right? And uh, preach about Jesus. Don't have to say anything good or bad about them. I ask them, what were their good traits? And they tell me all the wonderful things about their loved one or their friend. And I get up and talk about that for a few minutes. And then I get on Jesus. Amen? <laughs> right? Uh, that's my plan. But uh, I want to tell you, friend, there's a lot of sorrow in this world. There's a lot of people hurting about that. A lot of pain. A lot of sorrow. Last night I watched a biography about Audie Murphy. I like Audie Murphy. He killed in a plane crash in 1971, most decorated soldier in World War II. I watch that autobiography. I always watch those autobiographies because I want to find out about their faith. What did they believe? What, what were, their, what were their, their standing with God? And uh, they didn't say one thing about his faith. So I talked to a good friend of mine named Mr. Google. <laughs> Mr. Google's a pretty good guy. He's got a lot of insight. And then sometimes he's flat crazy. So be aware of Mr. Google. Sometimes he doesn't tell you the truth. Amen. But I Googled something about Audie Murphy. And I discovered something I didn't know. I'd read biographies and watched them and, and all, but something I didn't know. J. Vernon McGee preached his funeral. Now, you might remember J. Vernon McGee, radio preacher, wonderful Bible teacher, wrote a series of books called Through the Bible. If you ever want a good commentary for your personal use, I'd recommend Through the Bible with J. Vernon McGee. J. Vernon McGee preached the gospel. He was a wonderful Bible teacher. Still on the radio. You can still get him. Get him online. Google him. But you know what? What I read was J. Vernon McGee became Audie Murphy's friend. Now, I won't tell you. I know. I know beyond any doubt that J. Vernon McGee shared Jesus and the gospel with Audie Murphy. What I don't know is, is what Audie Murphy did with it. Did he trust Christ or did he not? I hope he did, because I sure would like to talk to that man in heaven. But I want to tell you, without the resurrection of Jesus, your sorrows in this life would be borne by you throughout eternity. But with the resurrection, our sorrows are overcome. Isn't it wonderful to stand before a casket and a grieving family and pews full of friends and get up and say, because of Jesus, better days are coming. And then the third thing, if Jesus is in the grave, we are not saved and He is not sovereign. This is what the false teachers and their followers want to deny. This is what the liberation approach and the liberal approach to the resurrection want to deny that Jesus is Lord. And they have to deny the bodily resurrection. Or they have to reroute the meaning of the resurrection somewhere, somehow. 
And that's what they do because a Romans 1, 4 says this, the resurrection and declared to be, talking about Jesus, what God the Father has declared about Jesus and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. If Jesus is not alive and risen and well and and at the right hand of God, He is not Lord, and our Savior is not Lord of all, and we are in complete and total chaos. And it's not going to get better, and we're not going to have any help, and we're not going to have any hope, and we're not going to have any strength, and this world's going to fall apart, and Vladimir Putin's going to take us all over. But I want to tell you what, Jesus is Lord and declared Lord by the resurrection. That is what the Bible teaches. And that's why we believe and we preach what the Bible says, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. This is Cole Andrews, the family minister here at First Baptist Church, Ocean Springs. I want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into our podcasts and sermons today. We surely hope you have been blessed by the Word of God. I'd like to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com, to learn more about our church. We sure would love to see you in church on Sunday. May God bless you.